Hey everyone, so I just did a video earlier this week on the famous book, Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore. Um, I'm holding it here in my hand and uh, I can tell you it's it's really beat up. This is one of the books that probably I've highlighted and written in the most. Um, and what Crossing the Chasm is about is marketing and selling disruptive technologies and products to mainstream customers. So if you think about a bell curve, um, you know, uh, which is essentially kind of like a long upside down U, you know, you have different types of customers at different areas. And what this book teaches you about is how to segment those types of customers, like especially uh, Jeff Moore goes through the types of uh, case studies from Silicon Valley um, and how you essentially have adoption uh, of various technologies. Uh, the concepts come from a very uh, heavily researched academic book called Diffusions of Innovations by uh, Everett M. Rogers. Um, and a lot of the case studies from there come from like the pharma, pharma industry, uh, the adoption of hybrid corn back in the 50s and 60s. So Jeff Moore took this and translated it. Now, um, I wanted to talk about uh, the four stages of technology adoption inside the chasm. So the chasm, as you're going up in adoption, the chasm is this gap where you go from the early market to the mainstream market. And jumping over it is very difficult. You know, at that point you have it's theorized, you know, 12 to 15% market share, more or less, you know, but getting over it is important. I'm having a delicious uh, coffee, by the way, it's this uh, Brit cafe from Costa Rica, you can buy it from Amazon, but probably the best beans I've ever had, in my opinion. Anyways, so I want to read to you um, uh, from from the article I wrote on that to teach you these uh, four areas of psychological adoption. Um, and the thing that you have to consider is that when it comes to adoption and, and disruption is from great bitterness, there's always a great awakening. So in the world of disruptive high-tech medical devices, you know, from which is my world, uh, Jeffrey Moore's book, uh, Crossing the Chasm, is one that is a, you know, handheld Bible for many of us. And it teaches you how to secure and use a niche uh, to leverage it into the mainstream market. And you know some of the great med device executives I worked with, uh, Chris Sells, Chris Prentice, Tim Murawski, and others, uh, they've told me a variety of war stories about taking technology to market and fighting tooth and nail uh, for supremacy and essentially uh, challenging the status quo. And this all starts from the chasm. Now, outlining the technology adoption cycle uh, more shows that customers sit at various places at various times. And when you get to a tipping point, as I mentioned, from 15 to 18% of market penetration, more or less, right, uh, the system tips and you get mass market acceptance into an idea. Now, since you're listening, let me describe this bell curve. Um, the early market, you have technology enthusiasts, which are, let's say, let's just take the example of, a, um, of the iPhone. So you have early market, which is technology enthusiasts first, and then visionaries. Technology enthusiasts are the people who, who stood in line for iPhone 1, and they didn't even care what it looked like, or that it was crappy, or had all these issues. They were technology enthusiasts. They just wanted to adopt. Visionaries come right after them. They're probably the people who showed up on day two or three, still waited in line. Okay. Um, and once you start getting to the chasm, right, you start entering the mainstream market. All right. So after you deal with the enthusiasts and the visionaries, you're getting to the chasm. So after a few months, let's just say the iPhone, iPhone one got got a lot of uh, press. People know about it, and, you know. And within that year, you have the mainstream market. 
First, you have the pragmatists. Pragmatists are people who are pretty skeptical about new technology, and they want a full solution. They're the kind of people who actually wait uh, for the new thing to come out and maybe wait a few weeks, a few months, even a year before getting it. After the pragmatists, on the second half of the bell curve, you have conservatives, you know, people who, sh who say, okay, like my... Um, you know, my uh, phone plan ended for renewal, I'm up for an upgrade, so let me get the iPhone. And then you have the laggards and the skeptics, which are the last people, people who had to end up buying a, a, a smartphone because, you know, their rotary phone didn't work anymore, right? So there's, there's a fact that the most successful companies uh, get through as fast as possible when it comes to the chasm. And again, that's going from the early market of visionaries and tech enthusiasts to pragmatists and conservatives, which are really the mainstream market. That's where you make billions and billions of dollars, okay? Um, it really promises few, if any, customers when you're in the chasm. Um, because getting through the chasm, you wanna get over it as quickly as possible because what it does house is all sorts of unpleasant types of people. Um, people from, say, disenchanted current customers to very nasty competitors and even unsavory investors. And at the heart, of all high-tech startups is a product that spawned from a small group of passionate scientists, right? And this is where I want to kind of introduce this concept I came up with. Um, now, we look about the scientific hurdle throughout history, scientists have struggled to communicate their ideas to the general public. It's just, it's, it's been there, it's not going away. You know, by its very nature, science is an artificial selection of ideas based on rigorous testing um, of their usefulness rather than on people's feelings, right? Uh, and this is why new scientific ideas tend to rub people the wrong way at first and produce very predictable reactions from the market, reactions that have become consistently predictable, actually. And if we look back, and I'm actually uh, looking at my library right now, there's a book called The Moral Animal by Robert Wright. There we go. I have to get up for a second. You know, it talks about Charles Darwin. And I'm going to use Charles Darwin as an example of how this concept works out. So when Charles Darwin first proposed his theories on natural selection in 1859, there were several stages of public reaction, right? Ones that any revolutionary idea seems to go through before becoming accepted. Um, and challenging the status quo is in fact very challenging, right? It's not an easy thing. It's not enough just to come up with a great product, an idea, and say, hey, look, this is better than what we used to do. That's just not how people think, right? That's not how they, they're wired. So. Um, when I studied the chasm within the technology adoption curve, and keep in mind, imagine like a hill, you know, uh, which is the bell curve, the technology adoption curve, and at the beginning of the hill, as it starts to slope up, there's a little gap. That's the chasm. But within that chasm, I discovered another bell curve, right? At least in my, my mind. Um, and the way I like to think about this is, um, we can think of it as a reaction curve. Um, and this curve, which you have to go up, you know, to like a little hill, right, within the chasm, has four psychological stages. These, you know, when you come up with a new idea, right, a new product, and people, early adopters start adopting it, it's great and everything, and to start getting into the mainstream market, you are going to be hit with a little resistance, right? So psychologically, these are the four stages as you're climbing up the psychological hill of adoption. And those uh, four stages are complacency and marginalization, 
ridicule, criticism, and acceptance. So let me walk you through each one of them. So let's go through the first one at the very beginning, complacency and marginalization. So at first, a new technology is seen as sort of an off-the-wall idea to somebody. It's it's quaint, but uh, not a serious threat to the dominant worldview, and perhaps just a very simple variant of some already known theory. So when Darwin sent his book on the origin of species, uh, the book which described uh, evolution by natural selection, he sent it to uh, to a gentleman, uh, the famous John Herschel, right? And Darwin remembers that John Herschel said uh, that, uh, or essentially, I'm going to read here what Darwin said. Quote. So Darwin quoted or said, "Quote: I heard by a roundabout channel that Herschel says my book is." quote, the law of higgly, higgly piggly. What this exactly means, I do not know, but it is evidently very contemptuous. If true, this is a great blow and discouragement. So essentially, John Herschel, um, and let me open up a tab here and tell you very briefly who he is. Um, so John Herschel was an English polymath. He was a math- mathematician, astronomer, chemist, chemist inventor, um, and uh, you know, very famous in those in those you know arenas. You know, kind of I guess in a way maybe, in, like an Elon Musk of his day. So imagine Charles Darwin, how he must have felt when he sent his work to John Herschel, and then Darwin heard that Herschel just pretty much said that it was a load of bullshit. Um, and Herschel even went on to say, "quote The principle of arbitrary and casual variation in natural selection as in." as insufficient without intelligent direction, which essentially he's just saying that, you know, there's there's nothing intelligent about this this concept, you know, and he really just kind of put it down. Now, the second stage, let's go to the second stage of these, uh, of this, of this, uh, of this curve, ridicule. So, so when an idea starts picking up more traction, complacency, marginalization, end up fading away, right? You know, you go from being, ah, you know, that's a cute little idea, it's a little weird and crazy, it's a little on the edge, to ridicule, right? So this fades away, and when this new idea or technology refuses to die, the result is ridicule by those who laughingly see it as inconsistent with something that they hold to be true, right? So for Darwin, a lot of his peers uh, eventually laughed at at his inability to see the necessity of a supreme designer doing selection. So for them, they said, well, this is ridiculous because you don't have any intelligent being, aka God, um, in this process, and so Darwin was really frustrated by uh, his his inability to communicate this new paradigm, and, and rightfully so. And his Darwin's great fear uh, for criticism actually fueled him to prepare for defense of his theory, and this essentially ultimately won him immortality in science. Third stage. Third stage is criticism. So you go from ridicule, making fun of it, to actually criticizing it, going from oh this is really ridiculous, this is insane, to criticizing it. Well. You know, what about this and what about that, right? So as a new technology gains acceptance, uh, people who have held uh, conflicting worldviews for some time uh, or who have their reputation invested in the old paradigms, they, they really start to take off the gloves. So the thing about this in medical devices, when you introduce a new technology, let's say to surgeons, right? You know, they go from making fun of it to really criticizing it because, again, their personalities, their emotions have been invested in the old way of doing surgery. So let's just say, in my experience, like it's a, it's a surgical robot. So a surgeon will start criticizing and saying, "Well, this thing's going to take a lot longer. It's more expensive. You know, I'm I'm going to be better than this than this thing, right?" Um, 
And this is the part that I personally, personally live for because sometimes the harshest critics, right, end up becoming your most loyal customers if you know how to win them over. So, and uh, sometimes that doesn't happen, in which case I just enjoy dealing with those people purely for sport. So by comparison, Darwinism is still being attacked today by creationists who believe it's conflict, uh, it conflicts with uh, their, their own beliefs, right? Their idea about intelligent design and God. Now, quick sip of coffee here. Now, the fourth stage is acceptance. So finally, you know, enough customers and organizations, in my case it would be physicians and hospitals, make the leap to the new paradigm that it gains psychological as well as intellectual acceptance. And those who understand the new ideas are longer are are longer as are, are no longer alone and unloved. Uh, the new world agrees on the new paradigm as well. Um, now, post-chasm momentum. Now, once the you know once you're over this uh, psychological reaction curve within the chasm, and you're on the other side of the chasm, getting into the mainstream market, it's really not over. It's not like this becomes very easier. Um, peer pressure starts to work from the idea rather than against it, um, which does help. But you still need to push it, you know, uh, in the right direction. So people adopted for the standard of care, say in physicians' case, um, and in at least in my world. So if you have physician adoption, patients begin to expect it as part of their treatment and it begin, and then eventually becomes uh, taught as part of training to residencies. And eventually um, it can make its way into third and fourth year medical school uh, rotations. Um, so when the status quo has been officially disrupted and then you become the new de facto standard. So that all that said, you know, um, I hope you enjoyed this uh interesting little history on technology adoption. I do recommend getting Crossing the Chasm and, and reading it, something that I constantly refer back to. But, you know, that's the thing you have to keep in mind is that for each segment of your of your market as you become more popular, as your, your product becomes more widely adopted, you have to think about the psychological um, uh, mindset of each of those segments, right? And you have to consider that the mainstream market, people who are, let's say, pragmatists, they have a different psychological makeup than, say, someone who's a tech enthusiast, right? Tech enthusiasts are okay with your product being ugly and not perfect, you know, as long as they can provide feedback. Pragmatists are looking for a full-scale solution. And at some point, when you get to the mainstream market, you can't be taking feedback all the time from the tech enthusiasts because now you're no longer making the product for them. The product has now become for the mainstream market. Right, and you can even look at something like Apple. Apple originally was made for for uh, computer programmers and designers, but at some point they kind of left that group and to focus on the mainstream market. So, well, with that said, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, you know, do me a favor, leave a five star review on on iTunes or whatever you're listening to this on. It helps me get found, um, and you know, leave a review. So, with that said, hope you have a great day, and I'll see you next time. Thank you again for tuning in to this week's episode of The Mind Loom. For questions that you'd like to submit, please email mindloomboom at gmail.com. That's mindloomboom at gmail.com.